Hello and welcome. Welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Yehayas Wahib in Washington. Here's what's coming up on African News tonight. Freedom is facing a very trying moment in this region. There's been a winter with regard to the freedom of expression and especially press freedom. That was Mugambi Kiai, Article 19 Eastern Africa Regional Director, who says there are little to celebrate in Africa for World Press Freedom Day. Details coming up. These stories and more ahead on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. Muslims across the globe are marking the end of the holy month of Ramadan and the beginning of Eid al-Fatir festivities. In Egypt, special Eid traditions have been celebrated for centuries. Reporter Angie Omar takes us to Eid festivities in Cairo. Egyptians started the first day of Eid as early as 5 in the morning wearing colorful new clothes and attending the special Eid prayers. Once the prayers are over, they return to home to eat their first breakfast after a month of fasting. Then millions of Cairo residents start their Eid activities. Some travel to the sunny, beautiful beaches in the North Coast or the Red Sea. Others take their families to a day out for a picnic or to a boat ride on the Nile. A popular and affordable attraction in Cairo for families with children is the Egyptian Zoo, one of the largest parks in Cairo, stretching over more than 30 hectares. Eid al-Fitr in Egypt is a time of private visits and hospitable receptions when friends and families come together to, to cook and eat delicacies and to wish each other a happy Eid. Egyptian families spend the first day of the holiday visiting and receiving guests, but on the last two days, it's all about outings and hangouts. One Eid tradition Egyptians have preserved for centuries is preparing special Eid cookies. The most common one is the kahk, filled with nuts and covered with powdery sugar. Mona Ibrahim is a mother of two and is proud of her homemade kahk. I spent the last two days of Ramadan baking Eid cookies or kahk. A tradition Egyptians maintained since the 9th century when it was introduced by Ahmed ibn Tulun, the Abbasid governor of Egypt. Eid al-Fitr in Egypt means kak. Long lines of kak buyers were seen at the bakeries in the last few days of Ramadan. Many Egyptian families take to the streets to enjoy celebrating Eid with their local communities, with mobile carnivals, performers, and storytellers keeping the crowd entertained. But with latest devaluation of the Egyptian currency and the soaring prices because of the war in Ukraine, some Egyptians are celebrating Eid with some concerns about the country. This recent university graduate, who didn't want to give his name, is among those who are worried. Nothing is different than last year. The only difference is the conditions of the country. We hope that God will help the country to get through and become in a better state. Despite concerns and higher prices, Egyptians all over the country are marking the end of Ramadan fast with celebrations many will remember for years to come. That was Inji Omar for VOA News, Cairo. While commemorating World Press Freedom Day, journalism advocates say free media in sub-Saharan Africa are under attack as journalists face intimidation, assaults, and arbitrary arrests. From the Kenyan capital Nairobi, Ruben Chama reports. Speaking to the Voice of America, Mugambi Kiai, Article 19 Eastern Africa Regional Director, says there is little to celebrate. Press freedom is facing a very trying moment in this region. There's been a winter with regard to the freedom of expression and especially press freedom. There's some exceptions, of course, but the general trend has been that the press is not free. The press is not allowed to gather, to disseminate, to operate as freely as the standards under all the international conventions 
on human rights um, should allow, and, and these actually different continental and regional charters. Across the region, Kiai says some countries are relatively better than others in terms of improving press freedom. Some countries, of course, like Kenya, you have a freer press environment which is actually contextual and historical. There's been a lot more investment by governments in creating a liberal democracy, whereas Uganda, Tanzania, Rwanda, uh, what you found is, is authoritarian states. But essentially, Uganda and Rwanda, we have former military generals who are in charge and, and therefore uh, clearly run the state. Africa is commemorating World Press Freedom Day within the framework of the three-day Africa Media Convention in Arusha, Tanzania, that ends tomorrow. The convention, which has attracted media players, press freedom advocates and other partners in Africa, will explore the global theme for this year, journalism under digital siege. Tanzanian President Samia Suluhu Hassan is expected to attend the event tomorrow as chief guest. With regards to Tanzania, there had been hope that the transition from John Pombe Makufuli to uh, the new president would create a new template because Tanzania has been known to be uh, accommodative of freedom. Founding President Nere was known to engage in public debates. What we have seen is that uh, the press again is under siege in the sense that it, it keeps on being threatened and you know, sometimes it's being banned in cases where the state feels threatened by some of the stories that are being reported. But with Tanzania hosting the event this year, some say it is an indication that the East African nation is making significant progress in advancing press freedom, freedom of expression, and access to information. Ruben Chama, VOA News, Nairobi. Press freedom supporters are condemning Ugandan authorities for persecuting media that air critical views of President Yaware Museveni and his family. Ugandan security forces raided an online station and arrested and charged its reporters with cyber-stalking and offensive communication. Employees are facing up to seven years in prison, as Halima Atumani reports for World Press Freedom Day May 3rd from Kampala. Uganda. The online television station Digitok is still trying to return to normal after Ugandan security forces raided its office in March, confiscating equipment and arresting nine staffers. Digitok administrator Farida Bikomere says she was beaten by security forces while in custody. So they will target the parts of the body that you will be afraid to show. So even you, I cannot come in, the, and unless I'm mad, I cannot come in, they come in from the camera and dress and show people. Even when I was beaten in my stomach, the bleeding is internal. Author and Digitalk founder Norman Tumuhimbise says security personnel put a hot leather blanket over his face. They asked him why he continued to annoy the state. He says by writing books that are critical of President Yoram Seveni and his family. If our leaders were reasonable enough, they would instead award us for giving them prophecies and wonderful ideas through which they can change this country. No one's at a personal level. I am not against Mr. Seveni and his son or the entire team of those tax beneficiaries, but I am against any form of administrative mismanagement of this country. 
Uganda's security forces denied torturing and abusing the journalists. The digital quackers were released on bail but were charged with cyber stalking and offensive communication which could get them up to seven years in prison. The Human Rights Network for Journalists Uganda says there were 131 attacks on media last year and many were intended to scare reporters from covering sensitive issues. So you really see that uh, journalists towing lines of covering the political dissent, of covering the political transition, but also criticizing uh, the first family are not in a safe haven. It's a very dangerous area for, for anyone. Uganda's information minister, Chris Variomunsi, says there is no risk in reporting on or writing about the president or his family, but he warns there is a legal limit. But also use, especially the digital platforms to insult, to abuse, to offend, and some of those communications definitely are against the law of Uganda. So in some instances, security officers may swing into action if somebody is publishing excesses. The 2021 Press Freedom Index shows that in the past five years, Uganda has more than 700 documented cases of human rights abuses and violations against journalists. Halima Othmani for VA News, Kampala, Uganda. Ethiopia's declared ceasefire with Tigrayan rebels in March raised hopes for possible peace talks to end the deadly 15-month war, while some northern areas of the Amhara region saw a brief return to peace. Renewed fighting has left desperate civilians waiting for the bloodshed to end. Henry Wilkins reports from Robit, Ethiopia. Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed announced a humanitarian ceasefire five weeks ago, but it's already beginning to fray. In the northern region of Amhara, fighting had subsided, but last week it erupted again. VOA spoke to witnesses who got caught up in the fighting when militants from the Fano militia group on the border of the Aromia zone in Amhara allegedly opened fire on civilians close to the town of Shua Rabit. Wenda Wesson Marmo says he was three kilometres away when the conflict erupted. Malale, the epicentre of the conflict, is almost burned to the ground, like Ate town was, where three such ethnic-based conflicts happened in the space of a year, he added. The hills of Amhara have been the scene of fighting between federal government forces, the Tigray People's Liberation Front, TPLF, and militia groups for months. Most people who spoke to VOA said they want to see peace now. Among them, Demeku Ali Abdu, who says her son was taken and killed after TPLF troops occupied her house last year. Ahmed Mohamed Syed, part of a local militia who fought to push the TPLF out of his hometown, hopes the fighting will soon end for good. He says he hopes conflict will never return to his home. He believes that all parties involved in the conflict have learned lessons, and I hope every person strives for the prevalence of peace, he said. However, a spokesperson for the local government said the presence of the TPLF in Amhara has emboldened other militant groups. Jamal Hassan is an Oromo Special Zone government spokesperson. 
He says in the special Aromo zone, both TPLF and Aromo separatists have a common goal or target. Their marriage seems to have become more concrete as they have common agendas of dismantling the state apparatus and retaking control of politics, he says. The special zone Jamal Hassan mentions is an enclave of ethnic Aromos surrounded by the Amhara region. In January, Prime Minister Abiy announced the national dialogue with the aim of bringing peace to the country, but the initiative has been criticised for failing to include many of the factions engaged in conflict, including the TPLF. Divergence uh, have also started to emerge. You know, Given the renewed fighting uh, in this area of Amhara, residents' hopes for peace might not be realised. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Shua Rabit, Ethiopia. You're listening to African News Tonight. I'm Yehiz Wuhib in Washington. Separatists in Cameroon's northwest region have demanded the release of 47 of their imprisoned leaders in return for a senator they abducted last week. Authorities have not yet responded to the demand, but Cameroon's military says it is searching for the senator who was abducted on Friday in the country's troubled northwest region. Moki Edwin Kinzeka reports from Yaoundé, Cameroon. Cameroon's military on Monday said Regina Munde, an English-speaking lawmaker, was abducted by separatist fighters in Bamenda on April 30. Bamenda is capital of the English-speaking northwest region and Mundi's hometown. The military said the senator was on her way to attend a wedding when heavily armed separatists ordered her driver at gunpoint to drive to an unknown location. Separatists have shared videos of Mundi on social media platforms, including Facebook and WhatsApp. In the video, Mundi looks tired and frightened as she reads from a paper that she has resigned from Cameroon's Senate. She says she is now a member of Ambazonia, the state separatists say they are fighting to create. I, Madame Regina Mundi, an Ambazonia by birth and nationality, today, the 30th of April 2022, resign and join our brothers to fight and push the Republic out of our country. Separatists in the video say she is in a safe location. They say Mundi was abducted for refusing to resign as senator representing the English-speaking Northwest region in Cameroon's upper house of parliament. Separatists say Cameroonian lawmakers, including Mundi, refused to vote for a law for the state of Cameroon to remove government troops, which fighters claim are killing English-speaking civilians. Capo Daniel is Deputy Defense Chief of Staff of the Ambazonia Defense Forces, a separatist group. Daniel says fighters will only let Mundi go if Cameroon's central government in Yaoundé frees 47 separatists arrested several years ago in Nigeria 
and extradited to Cameroon. We are demanding Mr. Pobia in exchange for her release to immediately release 75-year-old powerful Ngalafo and 47 other citizens of Ambazonia that were kidnapped by the Cameroon military from Nigeria and kept in Kondengi. If within 48 hours, Mr. Paul Bia do not respond to our demands, Madam Regina Mundi will face the consequences. Kapo did not say what the consequences would be, but said fighters will abduct all English-speaking lawmakers who failed to resign from Cameroon's parliament. Cameroon's military said it deployed troops to free Mundi from wherever she is, safe and alive, but gave no further details. The government has not reacted to the separatist demand for the release of the 47 separatists. In August 2019, the separatists were given life sentences by a Yaoundé military tribunal on charges including terrorism, rebellion against the state of Cameroon and secession. The Cameroon Military Tribunal also ordered the 10 men to pay $442,000 fines for civil damages and court costs. The ongoing crisis in Cameroon's English-speaking northwest and southwest regions began in 2016. Teachers and lawyers took to the streets to protest what they said was the overbearing use of French in the bilingual country that has English and French as official languages. The military reacted with a crackdown and separatists took up weapons claiming to defend minority English speakers from government troops. The UN reports that at least 3,300 people have been killed with more than 750,000 internally displaced. Moki Edwin Kinzaka for VOA News, Yawunde, Cameroon. A three-story, mainly residential building has collapsed in Nigeria's commercial capital, Lagos. So far, reports indicate eight dead and 23 injured. Ibrahim Farinloy of the National Emergency Management Agency told the French news agency AFP that an investigation is underway to determine the cause of the latest building collapse in the country. Building standards have been in the spotlight since high-rises under construction collapsed in Lagos last November, killing at least 45 people. Since 2005, at least 152 buildings have collapsed in the city, according to a South African university researcher. Bad workmanship, low-quality materials, and corruption to bypass official oversight are often blamed for such disasters. In South Africa, a commission of inquiry has implicated more than 1,400 individuals in financial crimes linked to former President Jacob Zuma's alleged state captures project. This scheme refers to Zuma's alleged plunder of state-owned enterprises, mostly during the last four years of his presidency between 2014 and 2018. Many of the alleged criminals are from the ruling African National Congress, the ANC, and include current and former cabinet ministers and business people linked to the party. Darren Taylor reports. The fourth installment of Commission Chair Judge Raymond Zondo's state capture report is a blistering attack on the ANC. 
It describes how senior party members either participated in Zuma's alleged looting frenzy or looked the other way while the president and his allies allegedly stole billions of taxpayer dollars. Zondo says the theft effectively destroyed key government institutions, including South African Airways, the Ports and Rail Authority, Transnet, and national electricity provider ESCOM. The judge's report makes the definitive finding that Zuma colluded with three Indian brothers, businessmen Atul A.J. and Tony Gupta, to basically steal the country, including its treasury. Ministers and company managers who wouldn't take part in state capture were fired and replaced with people who would. People like former ESCOM CEO Marcella Koko, appointed by Zuma to allegedly award multi-million dollar coal contracts to the Guptas. I maintain that there was no state capture at ESCOM in my time and if there was a state capture during my time, I did not know about that. It did not happen with my active participation. The Justice Zondo has set up the National Prosecuting Authority to fail. He's gone crazy. Zondo recommends that South Africa's National Prosecuting Authority, the NPA, use his investigation to launch criminal cases against Koko, Zuma and a long list of high-ranking ANC members. They all deny wrongdoing. Zondo recommends that the Gupta brothers be extradited from their current base, Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates, to face charges in South Africa. We know that there are compounds in Dubai waiting for these criminals to arrive. We know that many transactions took place in Dubai. Natasha Mazzoni, one of Zondo's many witnesses, holds the justice portfolio for the chief opposition Democratic Alliance. She's worried that those implicated in state capture are preparing to flee. I don't see any reason why criminal charges cannot be laid immediately and those particular actions like suspending of their passports and the uh, suspension of their bank accounts be done immediately as a cautionary measure. If the president says that he is serious about rooting out corruption, let him show us that he's serious about rooting out corruption. Mazzoni hopes President Cyril Ramaphosa ensures the NPA has the resources to use the reams of information gathered by the State Capture Commission to build solid cases. These criminals that we are dealing with have lots and lots of money that they can use and there are lots and lots of very clever advocates and attorneys out there who will find points in Lemonade that they can raise constantly throughout the court case, making it a very lengthy process. What we need to do is we need to make sure that the NPA dot every I and cross every T. She says South Africa, with the world's highest unemployment rate and millions of people mired in poverty, cannot allow the corrupt to escape with billions of dollars. We don't have time to waste because we don't know where that money is going to, we don't know where it's being siphoned off to, and we don't know what their plans are. These are people who pulled off, well, let's say almost pulled off, one of the biggest heists in the world's history. Mazzoni isn't exaggerating. Financial forensic experts have estimated that one and a half trillion rands, around $100 billion, was looted from the country in the final four years of Zuma's reign. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg.
Kote on the next Straight Talk Africa. I have an exclusive conversation with Yuwari Museveni, the president of Uganda for over three decades. We discuss democracy, security, and stability in Africa, and lots more. Yuwari Museveni in his own words. Wednesday on Straight Talk Africa at 18.30 UTC. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehia Suhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voanews.com. On behalf of our producer, Nicole Beckford, thank you for joining us for our first live show in two years here at VOA Studio 10 in Washington, D.C. What's going on, Africa? This is Jackson Vungani coming to you from the Voice of America studios here in Washington, D.C. Join us each week on Upfront as we discuss a range of topics. The show tries to capture that fundamentally aspirational nature of today's African youth. As you've noticed, right here on the show, we talk about everything. Nothing is off the table. Eliminate the mentality that girls cannot do what boys can do. You basically need to go to school. There's just no way you're going to get all the skills that people want from you or they expect from you if you're not at school. I am a social networker, often online. For me, it's all about making connections, meeting people. And the AU, eh, African youth, can, can these people really solve this nonsense of uh, rigging election, brutality during what election, violence, all this, whatever. Session. Remember to connect with us on Facebook and on Twitter at Upfront Africa.